Welcome, everyone, to episode 34 of the 25 Live Stay at Home Edition. Uh, my name is Jim Bernica. Special guest this week is Captain Scott Ross from the L.A. County Fire Department. Now, uh, Scott is a peer support coordinator. is actually a paid position through them. That's, that's kind of a new thing. But what interests me is they've been doing this peer support stuff there since 1986. So we're talking 33-plus years this department has had a peer support team. So there was a lot of lessons learned throughout all those years, good stuff and bad stuff. The other thing that uh, Captain Scott Ross does is he gets deployed all over the place through the IFF. And if there's a major incident, especially out there on the West Coast, a lot of times the IFF will send Scott out there and he will just run support and help everything out of that department. So he's been he's been to Vegas. He's been to San Bernardino. He was in Prescott. I mean, if you could think of a major incident in the last few years, he's probably been there. So I was fortunate enough to have him on my podcast and uh, – can't thank him enough, but here he is right now, Captain Scott Ross, LA County Peer Support Coordinator. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the 25 Live. My special guest today is coming all the way from the West Coast, Captain Scott Ross from LA County Fire Department. Welcome to the show, Scott. How's it going? Good morning. How are you? I'm well. All right, it's already lunchtime here. It's still morning for you, but yeah, <laughs> nice. I appreciate you being on here. You've been the peer support coordinator for LA County for how long now? Uh, actually, I just was put in the position about a little over a year ago as a full-time coordinator. Uh, been with our peer team for about 18 years. Nice. And and what kind of struck me as uh, impressive was this peer team has been around for over 33 years at this point. I, I don't know another team that's been around for that long. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't, but I don't know of of them. So I kind of figured within this 33 years that your peer team has learned, learned an awful lot of, of stuff, a lot of good, probably even some bad too. And I thought that you can really enlighten my listeners because uh, a lot of us are either don't have peer support teams or just starting to try out or uh, are trying to set them up or – We've had our teams, but they're only a couple years into it. So I think just your experience with that could could help them out a, an absolute ton. Yeah, absolutely. Anything I can do to help with that. Um, I've actually been an instructor with the International Association of Firefighters teaching the peer support model that they've come up with in the last couple of years. Um, so really in the last couple of years, I've seen it nationally. I've seen this trend of uh, peer teams growing uh, within the fire service, which is just absolutely uh, outstanding. Nice. Now, your team started back in 1986. It was the Cerritos Air Disaster. You know, just looking that up online, it's pretty crazy. A small plane, a small plane, collided with an airliner. They killed 80. Uh, excuse me, 67 people from both planes, but then they landed and it killed 15 more people on the ground. Yeah. So coming from that is when you guys realized we need to do something for our members. This is a pretty traumatic scene. Yeah, I actually was um, not even hired at that point. I've got 28 years with um, the fire department, and uh, but I was in the area working for an ambulance company at the time, and we actually were responded as you know an ambulance crew to the scene. So um, I had kind of first hand you know, account of that. And 
the devastation that that was on the ground was was pretty heavy. Nice. And and from there, you guys decided, all right, well, we need to do something. We need to take care of our members. We need to have them a you know somebody to talk to. I mean, you're on the cutting edge of of all this stuff when when you when we started. Um, and I know you came on a little bit after this to LA County, but when you got on, was was there were they already talking like in drill school about peer support about mental health at all? No, no. When I first started my career in the fire service, um, it was anything but um, what we see now as peer support. Um, pretty much suck it up, kind of deal with it. All the things that we would see, um, we just kind of stuffed it down. Uh, never really dealt with the stuff, the heavy stuff that we saw. And everything was a little different back in the day when I first started. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it was that <clears throat> tough, uh, tough guy mentality. You know, you could, you know, you're supposed to just handle it, deal with it, move on. Sure. You know, was there a particular time or incident in which that started going away? Can you put, can you put, put your finger on a, a point in time or did it just slowly but surely erode to where this was, you can actually talk about it? Or is it even still a stigma there in your department? Well, it certainly has changed um, dramatically so in the last couple of years, uh, even within our department. Even though we've had a peer team as long as we've had, it wasn't the cool thing to be a part of. Um, and it had its ups and downs, it, you know, it had bumps in the road. Um, wasn't really ex- And more so just on a reactionary state. Uh, if a big incident were to happen, then they would say, call the CISM team. Uh, get a critical incident stress management team out. And, um, it, you know, it, again, it was one of those things that it had to evolve. Um, a lot of changes were made over the years to where it is now. Uh, but there's always been something in place. And there was good, really good members early on, um, right after the Cerritos Air disaster. And it's interesting, I actually talked with kind of one of the founders uh, through LA County Fire Department, uh, Deputy Chief Mel Holkinson, was someone that envisioned this. He saw the need after uh, the Cerritos air disaster. And it just by chance, it was only a month or so ago that the him, I was talking with him uh, and really got a history lesson back, you know, in the day. Uh, where this really started. Um, it was really tough. Again, through administration, management, no one was really on board with this. It was kind of known as the hug squad, if you will. Um, and people, you know, were a little leery of even getting involved. Um, but it, again, it's evolved now to where um, it's taken off nationally and really, really is kind of setting the tone for behavioral health in the fire service. I think the fact that your department has recognized you as a full-time position, like this is your job, we're paying you for that, kind of tells you where they're at now. And I know getting to that point, I'm sure was was really tough to get there, but um, when, and during those early days, 
you said the department wasn't on board. It was a union on board too, or was this just something you guys were just kind of doing on your own? Uh, again, going back to um, Chief Holkinson, you know, in the conversation that I had with him, he said nobody was on board. The department wasn't on board. Um, he had to navigate a lot of waters without the union. You know, labor wasn't on board. Um, a lot of kickback from them as well. Um, and then things, I don't know exactly. You would talk about pinpointing a, a date and time when things started to change. Uh, I think truly, and I have to attest to the people that came before me within our department to get it going off the ground. Um, Chief Mel Hulkinson, when I first started, Claudio Medina was a captain on our job who was in charge of the program and did an outstanding job moving it forward. Um, he then retired and, uh, again, had that ebb and flow. Wasn't, wasn't always the best. Um, and we had certain individuals running the program. We had um, uh, a few chiefs running the program that um, really did well with it, Chief Heinzel. Uh, really took to it and, it and it really had to come from the heart you had to believe in the program and energy behind certain chiefs uh, that made it really well um, we unfortunately had a chief that was um, not really um, proactive with our program he actually kind of um, set the program back in, in ways um, just not trying to fight for the program and, and roadblocks happened along the way so those are the struggles that i had to contend with because um after captain medina who had done really well with the program chief heinzel um i really got engaged uh, and saw the value um, it, it started for me i would say because um years ago my oldest son had a um girlfriend that was kind of like a you know they went through middle school high school together you just kind of knew that they were kind of destined to be together and she was lost in a boating accident with her best friend uh, out at the river in Colorado Parker Arizona um, and that really showed me the value and, and I think it goes a long way back I mean before we're even alive in the fire service that you know the brotherhood is always there it's always there i always tell people when we're training and peer support is that we're all peer i just gone and got some training you know and so um but what i saw with that and the value of having my brothers and sisters in the fire service be there for me was absolutely incredible um i couldn't have made it through what we had gone through uh, for my son, the families of the girls that were uh, killed in the accident uh, was, was quite amazing. So uh, that was kind of my launching point, if you will, to really engaging in this program. And from there, it just took off. Um, there's been a lot of uh, ups and downs, a lot of roadblocks, a lot of headaches. Um, you know, I kind of say I didn't get this gray hair from the fire service. It came directly from struggling with you know, getting peer support off the ground. So, um, 
it's it's been a ride for sure and it's been a lot of struggles and a lot of hard work to get where we are now what what were some of the things you had to overcome to get to this point to to get acceptance to to get it to beyond the suck it up buttercup like you know this is actually a significant thing i mean were there were there clearly like suicides or alcohol or drug problems in which you had to you had to kind of justify yourself i imagine and and the need for you yeah it there's so many things that add to that all those things that you mentioned um alcohol suicides um family you know stressors divorces um you know there's no secret that the fire service and law enforcement have high uh, divorce rates it's just tough I, you know i always give accolades to uh the wives and spouses of firefighters and tell them all the time if you can put up with us you know because it's hard being married in the fire service um so but all those things that that you know on top of everyday life the stuff that we have to deal with family and all that um then we have this job that creates a whole nother level of stress and i saw it early on in my career um alcohol uh you know families uh divorced it's kind of one of those things that um you know they sat down with an engineer one day early on in my career and he was looking at the department roster when I was with another department uh, in the beginning of my career and it was almost 80% of our department was you know divorced or had been through a divorce at one point or another so it was struggles um alcohol was another thing that um we really and looking back through my entire career of what we were doing that we were basically you know guy come in after a long night of drinking or whatever um you know we would just put him in the back or let him go sleep it off and we would cover for him we would you know it was basically enabling and we weren't really doing him any favors because those times became many and the alcohol became problems so we uh we're starting to see a trend in that now and um the very positive thing within our department now is that because we've got peer support so kind of um ingrained within our department and resource and uh now we're it's kind of known that it's not punitive if you need help and you need uh to seek treatment you're not in trouble with the department but we got to be proactive and we've been able to get a lot of guys help um through recovery centers and other things like that so it's it's worked really well for us i think another key to that is just that is confidential yeah that that if if you're getting help a lot of times uh especially if not on an extended stay nobody has to know no you you can do this and 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 Nobody else will will be clueless. They'll 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 be clueless to that fact, and you'll be able to get the help you need and and not be judged. Because I know that's a lot of the fear of people is being judged and being that uh, pussy for lack of a better reference. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, we're the fixers, right? We fix everything. We go out on you know uh, everyone's worst day. Um, even from from the very mild to, to the real heavy stuff, 
that's ingrained in our brain every day that we roll out through those doors and jump on the engine. We go fix the problem. And the last person that will ever, you know, admit that needs uh, help is ourselves because we can fix it. That's just what has been, you know, taught to us over and over and over throughout the years of our career is that we know how to fix it. When it comes to things like alcohol and other things, um, we struggle with that. And there's some parameters to that too, as well as that, that thought of being punitive, that it's, you know, we're going to get in trouble. Um, we don't want people to know our business. So that confidentiality that we speak of is absolutely the backbone of the peer support program. You have to have your people be very understanding that it only takes one person. You have someone on your peer team that's going to leak information, talk about something, talk about someone's personal stuff, then the program is destroyed because you, it's so hard to gain that trust. Nice. Now, <clears throat> for your academies, have you started to include kind of a, a peer support presentation to all those kids that are, are going through kind of the, your rookie school before they actually get on the department? Yeah, it's uh, we've really um, kind of made leaps and bounds with that um, from one end of the spectrum to the other. Uh, from the recruits that we talk about, it's been uh, one of the things that we start right out of uh, the fire academy. Um, when they get started in the training tower, we embed peer support. They have a meeting with our peer support folks, our mental health professionals, and just kind of reduce the stigma, normalize it, if you will. This is, a, this is just a part of the fire service. Behavioral health is, is a key component. It's just one of those things that um, is, is a very normal part of our program. All the way to the other side is that we have our retirees. Um, and we've really gotten a good program started with our uh, retirees that are um, now uh, once someone is getting close to retirement we assign a retiree peer uh, to that member that's going to retire walk them through the last couple months and into the first year of retirement um, it's a big change to do 30 plus years whatever this is all you know and then one day just all of a sudden you're not with fire service anymore. No, I know uh, one of my assistant chiefs told me before that when our guys and gals leave the job, we leave them broken. So what you're saying there, having that retiree peer, I think, I think that would help out a lot actually. Yeah, it's gone a long way. Um, I've, you know, we've heard it, uh, over the last, so many years is that, and I, I still run into people that uh, now that uh, have said their first year of retirement was really hard uh, to make those adjustments. Um, you know, wives of retirees, it's like, that guy's home like every day. It's like, yeah, I know. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah, where, where's my break at, right? <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, it's been really, really helpful. Uh, guys have connected to that, and uh, the retiree peers are doing an outstanding job with our department. And if I imagine if anything significant happens, you can call them right back in and, well, and bring yeah. them into the fold. I mean, that's that's what I know we ended up doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. We utilize them. Uh, they've gone. I've used some of our retiree peers out on deployments. Um, it's kind of nice because when you call and ask their availability, well, guess what? They're retired. So, uh, yeah, they're available. That's that's awesome. So have you also seen it going back to the other side, going to the, the kids, the recruits? Like, is there a, a more of just an openness of talking about this, about that, that firehouse kitchen table um, that was there, that, that's now there that wasn't there for the predecessors? Yeah, it's, it's really hard when you first, and I've gone with, you know, quite a few of our peers to uh, talk to the, the recruits in the tower. Um, it's having the, um, instructors in the room doesn't work. Uh, we really can't, you know, with all respect, we ask, you know, all instructors, anyone involved with their training academy, uh, the recruit captains, uh, you know, this is a conversation that's being had by our peers, um, with the recruits. And even when we get them in a room with no one else from the training, it's still hard to break that, you know, yes, sir, yes, sir. It, you know, it's like, okay, relax. Uh, we've actually gotten to the point to where now um, having an old guy like me come in and talk to them, they're still in that respect mode and, you know, are attentive and uh, trying to get them to relax. That's why I wear this shirt. This is kind of my duty shirt. I don't wear my bugles and, uh, you know, the uh, day uniform because of that i don't want rank to be a, a, a thing in the room um but even that said we are kind of moving more towards having our younger uh, peers in the firefighter ranks be the ones that go and talk to the guys in the recruit class because they can break them down just tell them hey this is what's going on this is how it is we're going to talk peer-to-peer and we're here for you to get through a real hard time the next six months of training is going to be really hard uh, with your families and all the strain they're going to go through, we just went through it. So um, it, it's worked out really well. But again, trying to get those uh, young recruits to uh, kind of sit back and relax for just a moment while the peer support team comes in and talks to them uh, is still always a challenge. Do you, do you have there in LA County? Do you have a like spousal night before the training starts? Yeah, we, we have a family day um, where the families come in, and that's kind of a, a way that we, uh, we break it up. At times, we have the recruits go into another room. We'll have the younger firefighter peer uh, go in and talk with them, and we'll stay with the families. We'll talk about what the tower is going to be like. We kind of walk them through all that. We have mental health professionals that come to that family day as well, and it's just a piece of the information that comes across. They get so much information uh, that day, and we're just a small piece of it, but uh, it's gone really well just to let the families know that we are thinking of their behavioral health through all this as well. I think not only probably about their behavioral health, but just the fact that, like, hey, if you notice this with your spouse during the academy or on the job, and, like, the the drinking becomes excessive or, or, you know, these other signs and, and symptoms like, you know, you need to recognize that this happens with us and make sure that your firefighter gets help. Absolutely. Uh, a big part of it is just resourcing. Um, they get a whole lot of information. 
uh, we just kind of try to um, be there as a familiar face, let them know a little bit about what the program is, and that there is resources. Uh, we give them handout information as far as who they can contact for behavioral health, our peer support team. Um, so once they have all that, it does go a long way with knowing that, you know, down the road, they can make a phone call. Nice. Now, you mentioned a, a while back, you mentioned uh, going on deployments. And I know you've gone on an awful lot of different deployments, whether, uh, I mean, my gosh, a lot of big incidents that I get to see in Ohio that's all around the world, you, you know, you go to, whether it's, you know, San Bernardino, whether um, it's Prescott, um, I mean, just all over the place. What are some of, again, the good and bad, what you've seen when you've shown up at, at these places after a major traumatic incident? Uh, well, I'll tell you again, and I've been very fortunate um, to be able to be of service through the IFF. Um, you know, we say, you know, 28 years on the job, doing fire department, fire captain, I've been through all the ranks, paramedic, engineer. Um, it's an amazing job. Uh, and then, to, but this is just kind of icing on the cake. To be able to turn and actually be of service to our fellow firefighters, uh, brothers and sisters out there that have gone through some of the, you know, most horrific stuff. Um, I, you know, I just, I feel very honored, very humbled to be able to uh, go out and be of service and help. Um, but there's always a, um, uh, a kind of sense of like, well, wait a minute, you know, we're good. We, we got it. Um, why do we have, you know, people coming in here to help us, you know? The big thing is that if you look at um, just a handful of the stuff that I've gone on, you know, the El Paso uh, shooting at the Walmart in Texas, um, Las Vegas, the harvest incident, um, you know, UCC college shooting up in uh, Oregon, uh, line of duty deaths. Uh, we had one in our own backyard with uh, Long Beach Fire Department. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second, but uh, it's, it's just sometimes becomes overwhelming for a department. They may have peer teams, um, and we've had all kinds of ranges of it, you know, peer teams that are established to um, just getting off the ground or have nothing at all. And it's still one of those things that, uh, you know, they, everyone wants to be able to take care of their own, but sometimes it's just too much. And, we never come in without uh, letting them know that we're not here to take over. This isn't, you know, we're just here in support. Um, and it's actually gone really well. Uh, it, the, the biggest thing I can say to that is that if we come in with an aggressive nature, like we're going to take, you know, we've got this and we're going to fix you and all that stuff. They don't want to, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to see that. Uh, it's not going to go well. Uh, basically, kind of something I've lived by is you land softly, sit back, kind of assess, see where the needs are, and just ask to help wherever you can. And and it's gone the full gamut. Um, I can tell you things that, you know, kind of blow your mind of what our peer support teams have done out there in, in helping our folks and really thinking outside the box and, and gone a long way. But um, when you do that, uh, 
it starts to it takes a little bit, you know, just a little bit of an uneasiness. But uh, once they realize what we're there for, it really starts to blend and be really helpful. Uh, when we get a peer support team in to come in and help a department who's overwhelmed with, uh, you know, something that just overcomes their entire department. How important is it to already, and maybe not important, but how helpful is it to already have a peer support team established at that department? I mean, have you been able to see the differences of where they, they do have the resources they're able to at least help out and assist compared to ones that don't have anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you that, you know, once they understand, for those that have some established teams, and we've gone in to assist. The reality is that we're only going to be there for a short time. And this doesn't go away. You know, this isn't fixed in a matter of a few days when we have a peer support team on the ground. Um, we help, we connect, and we stay, you know, connected to those uh, peer support members that that department has. And we ask them to come along along the way. If we can help kind of mentor them into what, you know, uh, you know, with the impact of something as uh, heavy as the line of duty death, um, something that over, you know, overwhelms our department a little bit. Um, we're just walking right alongside them. And we actually utilize them to take us to, you know, stations, um, give us a little background, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's going on at this firehouse, you know, or how close were they to the incident? Uh, good intel. And then, we, you know, have our peers go in and talk with folks and uh, just utilize those existing members because they're the ones that are going to be going on the long haul. They're the ones that are going to still be within their department, taking care of their folks uh, in a long duration, six months, nine months, a year out from the incident. So They can they can also open up the door for you. Like if, if I'm on my department and I walk in the door to a firehouse and I've got two or three guys from wherever it may be helping me out. You know, it's kind of my job to vouch for them and, and explain while they're here and, and, and uh, kind of really relax all the firefighters there working at that station. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it worked out really well. in the fact that that connection with our peer teams that would come in uh, with the existing departments, your team uh, we always meet with them firsthand i always sit down with their folks and say hey um we're not here to you know as i said we're not here to take over we're here to assist you how can we help uh, show us the way you know show us where we need to go and uh using them in the forefront to you know walk through those doors of those fire stations uh and it, do introductions and stuff like that uh, that's always seems to you know worked out really the best Perfect. Is there is there any other pointers? Um, again, lessons learned, whether it's on these deployments or just on your department that you think would be helpful to those those departments that may have a team um, or are just starting a team. Well, I said I would go back to the incident with Long Beach, and uh, Mick Cannon, one of the guys running the peer support team for Long Beach Fire Department in California. Um, when Captain Rosa uh, a while back was shot on uh, duty, uh, on a call, 
it was a fire alarm that they responded to in the early morning hours, five o'clock or so. Um, when he was shot, um, you know, when at the building that they were going to on a fire alarm, it was a senior home, um, the elderly gentleman with a gun, they were walking up the stairwell and, and uh, he st- started opening fire. Um, just completely caught them off guard. They were there for a ringing fire alarm. And then this happens. Things change from going from, you know, thinking that we're there for uh, fire to now your captain has been shot and, and critically injured, uh, ultimately, you know, passed away. But um, that change is really quick on scene. And then for the size of Long Beach, which is about 20, from, can't remember exactly, 22 stations, something like that. Um, very nice sized apartment um, with a, a peer team that is established. Uh, like I said, a friend of mine, Mick Cannon over there, called me right away and said, and he's wanted, like I said, it's it doesn't happen all the time, but he had enough insight to go and early, early on, which was really helpful. Uh, he called me uh, within probably a half hour of the incident and said, hey, we just lost a captain and shot in the line of duty. We don't got this. We're going to need some help. And immediately we engaged our peer support team, got help from other uh, locals uh, in the area and went over and started engaging. Um, that really went a long way uh, for the simple fact that getting off the ground early in this and him uh, recognizing that even though they have a peer team, um, this is going to overwhelm their department. Uh, Captain Rosa was really uh, loved by so many people on that department who was a big figure in their department. And to have a line of duty death and it be Captain Rosa, um, not that it wouldn't be horrible for any of us, but um, it just really, really impacted that department. Uh, so I can just tell you this, is that going forward, um, just know that sharing the load and, and reaching out, uh, you know, there's going to be times, and we even at L.A. County lost um, a couple guys uh, back in the station fire that... Um, in a lighting duty that overwhelmed our department. So it doesn't matter size of the department. There's going to be times and you just have to be comfortable and uh, understanding that sometimes you're going to, we're all going to need help and it's not anyone coming in to take over. It's just, you know, truly in this peer support world. Um, and I've seen it nationally. It's just, you know, the people that are involved with all this stuff are really, really, uh, in it for the right reasons and really truly want to help um, so accepting help early if needed is is a really uh, good process nice yeah um, you know I think for the longest time I can at least say we try to handle stuff in-house we try to take care of our own and that's just I'm not even talking necessarily about peer support just about the actual fire department and over the years, we've had to really open up the doors and realize we can't do this all by ourselves. And even though we had a peer support team, yeah, we were dependent on the state coming in, 
Um, you know, because probably about a third of the team was on our bad incident. So yeah. they couldn't really help. So it was, we were blessed to have the IFF come in and uh, OAPFF come in. And, and as you were in El Paso, you know, we had guys from FDNY coming in and helping us out because it was this exact same day. I'm sure you recall. So, yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, it was actually a, just a great resource to have. And, and everything you've said was, was accurate for how it was handled. We're not here to take over. We're just here to support and help out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at what's going on in this day and time right now. Um, unprecedented, uh, you know, overwhelming. It's not just one department. It's every department across the nation right now. And what we've got going on right now in Southern California, um, I was on conference calls um, all day yesterday, but it's been really valuable. Um, we talked with all the peer leads within, uh, from Santa Barbara down to you know Orange County. Yesterday it was one of the conference calls and just sharing the information, what's best practices, what are you guys doing? You know, uh, how can we better serve and help our members within our department? That informational sharing stuff has been invaluable um, because we all have great ideas. Um, no one's got all the answers. And if we can share and take care of each other, um, you know, it, it's showing itself in a big way right now through all that we're going through. Perfect. All right, and I, I just want to take a second and say, if you don't have a peer support team already established, what are you waiting for? You know, the IFF has a program, and there's also other programs out there that use very similar materials, but have your department ready because it's not a matter of, of if something happens or your members need help. It's a, just a matter of when. And I'm sure you concur with that. Absolutely. <clears throat> There's so much uh, to be gained from it. Um, it was interesting. I heard a uh, uh, member from the IFF, um, one of the directors, say, you know, and, and I've seen it nationally with all the trainings that we've been able to go do uh, to departments that are starting up peer support teams. Uh, I don't think that there's a fire chief or administration out there that really wants to be in that position to say, uh, behavioral health, no, we're, we're not really into that. You know, we're not gonna do that for our guys. Um, it's taken off in this understanding across the nation of the need for behavioral health support within our fire service uh, and to normalize it and, and just part, pay, make it part of the threat is, is just what it's gonna be. Um, it's here for the long haul. There's a ton of good resources out there. Um, there's a lot of really good people doing the training. Um, and just reach out. If there's something that you are, you know, I'm always, uh, you know, available to people if they have questions or comments or how they get involved. But uh, through the IFF, the peer support training program that's going on is has been really good. Um, you know, I stand behind that. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this for 18 years and kind of grew up in the CISM model. Um, and, and I just think anything that you can do to get a peer team up and off the ground to support your folks is, is an incredible idea. Are you guys, well, kind of while you mentioned it, 
Are you still practicing the CISM or have you gone away from that? Because I know there's a, the big kind of controversy. I don't know if controversy is the right word, but there's different ways of thinking about it. Yeah, and, and we see all kinds of variations of that. We have people that have different views, beliefs. Um, you know, some are, you know, and I've heard all, all this stuff. Um, you know, some believe that, you know, it's forced debriefings with CISM and, uh, you know, we, we change, that's, that's changing so much. Um, and it really is a matter of who is teaching, um, and how people are using what they've learned. Uh, I, we still within our department, uh, I don't really have any problems with CISM stuff. It's what I grew up with in the fire service, the ICISF. Um, and it's more of a reactionary state, if you will. Uh, the CISM model, it's when incidents happen, uh, debriefings, diffusings, all those things. Um, and where the IFF peer support model is more proactive, it's out getting ahead of it. Um, so we use everything. You know, I truly believe that it's in the... Uh, uh, the carpenter, if you will, and not the tools. You know, you learn all you can and use the models that uh, are available to you. Um, but you really have to look at who your carpenter is, who's who's uh, using the tools that's provided. Um, and it's really critical to kind of vet your teams out and who's going to be on your team. Um, if they're overbearing, they talk too much and all that, um, probably not the best person for the job um, someone that's got to come with their heart leading the way and able to listen uh, and really take in what that member has going on and resource them and find out how can we help you get to where you need to be perfect perfect all right well let me get you out of here on this it's uh now time for my 25 random questions i'm not going to make you answer 25 random questions <laughs> you know i'm not you know, I know you don't have that much time, but if you would, if you indulge me, could you pick, uh, how about picking a couple numbers and we'll go through them and then, and then we'll get you out of here. All righty. Uh, let's go with, uh, two numbers. We'll give you seven and 24. Okay. Seven is <clears throat> what is something popular now, but everyone will look back at five years from now and think it's stupid or embarrassing. So uh, kind of maybe fad thing or something that people are going to go, that was, that was dumb. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, trending things as of right now. Um, I don't know. Is it Facebook? Facebook might be, you know, on, you know, I guess people are still on it, but, um, there's so many other little social media stuff that's going on. That, that might fade fade a little bit further away. All right, Zuckerberg, if you're listening, your time's almost up. All right, uh, number twenty-four. Do you have an alcoholic beverage of choice? Uh, well, I'm not a big drinker. Uh, okay. Definitely not a beer drinker. I mean, I you know have beers and stuff, my but if I'm going to have my beverage of choice, it's going to be Jack Daniels. There you go. Very nice. All yeah. right. Well, where uh, you kind of mentioned earlier, if if anybody want to get a, a hold of you, not in the stalking way, but just find out more information, 
where could they track you down at? Uh, you know what? I, I don't really have a, uh, I don't have, you know, the Twitter accounts or, uh, stuff like that. Um, I will be happy to, I don't know if you put it out after the fact. Um, I always happy to give out my email for people to contact me. Um, and we can do that. Okay. Yeah. I'll put that in the, the show notes. So whoever's listening can, they can just look in there and, and there it'll be. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. I really do appreciate your time. I appreciate everything that you're doing for all of our members really throughout this country. Yeah. So. Well, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to be on here. Um, again, a little, little thing on me. Um, I got a lot of family down in Southern, uh, Southern Ohio, down in Portsmouth. Grew up all my years, uh, being a big Ohio state Buckeye fan. Uh, Again, there's one day in November that even out here in California, I I can tell you this, I have never worked a day at the fire station on that day where Ohio State's uh, playing that team from that other state. Uh, starts with them. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big deal in my house. And uh, so a lot of heart, a lot of family. I uh, appreciate being able to come out and uh, – do some instructing when I was out in Ohio and, and see all our good folks back in Ohio. So thank you. No, no, thank you. And I, I appreciate you owning the fact that you, you came from here and you still enjoy the Ohio state university Buckeyes. Absolutely. All right. Now, if you will, whenever you do get outside and you're able to, to get some lunch, do me a favor, have some in and out burgers for me <laughs> because I have no idea. Well, I'm going to get my next burger from there, and yeah. I miss it. Yeah. it's uh, Well, you thought the lines were long before, uh, with everything is shutting down right now. in and outs still one of those places that are open, and uh, the lines are really long. It takes a good 20, 30 minutes to get through that line. Well, well worth it, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well worth it. All right. Well, on that note, making me think about lunch and in-out burgers. I'll get you out of here. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. All right. Take care, everybody. Captain Scott Ross. Uh -huh.